1: Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the premiere of HBO's The Last of Us. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked media podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows comics and pop culture in this episode
2: previously on we're going to be digging into that wild mandalorian season three trailer the baby is back the baby's back The baby is back <laughs> and in the airlock we're going to be talking about that unreal premiere of hbo's the last of us which i just cannot wait to talk about because it looked. i can't wait to it talk was about. so good
1: And, of course, this is an a la carte podcast, and if you want to jump around and just pick the little bits (laughs) you like, check the show notes and the timestamps for the topics that we talk about and where they are. Uh, Coming up, let's get into that Mandalorian trailer and the previous sound. First up, okay, a Mandalorian season three trailer debuted during Dallas Cowboys versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, which is why I tuned in, also to uh, see Tom Brady uh, get stomped, but... Man, looks great. Not a lot of new stuff uh, from uh, compared to the trailer that had been out there. But really, really fun. Looks great. The baby is back. The baby's
2: back. Lots of vibes. Very uh, vibey. Lots very of Mandalorians.
1: V- I, I, here are some, just like in, in no order, some things that popped out to me. Grief Cargo, the come up, continues. He looks great. Oh,
2: I love Carl Weathers. I love to see it every day.
1: <laughs> he. No one has looked more delighted to be in a role than Carl. Like, every time I watch him, you can see him being like, can you believe this? Is this great? Yeah, he—he, he lo- I love it. This is fucking great. Hopefully he'll be directing some more episodes. Yeah. The robes, like the fact that he seems to be in control of uh, of uh, a significant uh, power structure now mm-hmm. is really cool. Uh, that is great. Yeah, also the armorer. Was that like
2: flashbacks? Are they going to be a major role again? I'm hoping that it's the latter, but it's really interesting. It's weird to say, oh, a lot of Mandalorians because like there really aren't a lot of them. But in (sighs)
1: this They seem to be all there. Yeah. Yeah,
2: we see that Din is basically, he's in a position where he's trying to Reimagine what the Mandalorians can be
1: right. outside more of progressive. war, outside
2: of death, like something. Yeah. And he's got to, you know, go back to Mandalore because he took off his took off his mask so he he's could see the, the baby. Yeah, you know. So it will be very interesting to see. For me, I love to see some weird alien races. So we had. You yeah. might have seen the uh, a Kowakian monkey lizard, aka Salacious Crumb. It wasn't Salacious yeah. Crumb, probably, but <laughs> I yelled Salacious be <laughs> Crumb. Uh, and then obviously. I know in our Discord, people were like really excited. Like, is that Babu Frick? Is it Babu Frick? Well, there's two of them, but at least Ah, we know that it's it's an An Anzillan, I believe is what they're called. So I love Babu Frick. I'm happy to see it. I love to see some weird alien creatures. Me too. Also, I'm very interested. You know, you talked about, let's talk about like Anakin and Order 66 and also like the the potential Jedi Temple.
1: Uh, We, okay, so... That's probably a battle droid that's cutting open the door. That said, I'm just going off of the color of the laser that appears Mm -hmm. to be cutting the door open. That said, I I do wonder if we're going to see a de-aged Anakin Mm -hmm. uh, uh, doing a lot of murder stuff. And it feels like to put that in the trailer sets up, we're going to let you know how Baby Yoda escaped. Yeah, they know we're going to tell you how.
2: They know what that evokes when they put that in the trailer. Yeah. It evokes horror and terror and yeah, well, you know Hayden's back now. So we could see it, you know. We we saw what they did with Luke, it would be much easier to do it with Hayden and yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I love the show. I love the baby. You know, I, I love Pedro. I'm so happy things are going so well for him right now. Like, what a week. What a <laughs> when, week. For when Pedro, he shared the trailer, I was just thinking, like, <laughs> good for him. I was like, yeah. coming off the back of like one of the best, re- well, the best reviewed live action video game adaptation okay. ever. Let's and get it. Like, we'll get it. Yeah. We'll yeah, let's yeah, get, we'll into
1: get into it. it. Okay. Actually, let's just do that. Up next,
0: the premiere of HBO's The Last of Us.
1: We're stepping out of the airlock and into the broken down streets of Boston, looking better than ever, if you ask me, to talk about the premiere of HBO Max's The Last of Us adaptation created by Craig Mazin and uh, Naughty Dog EP Neil Druckmann, uh, starring Pedro Pascal as Joel, Bella Ramsey as Ellie, Anna Torv as Tess. Gabriel Luna as Tommy and more people that we haven't really seen yet. Let's talk about this first. You mentioned it uh, in the previously on. Uh, there's been, uh, you know, the kind of tagline for this, or at least the the, um, the media narrative is, here is the video game adaptation that has broken the curse. Now, some have said, well, what about? So, so
2: I think the thing is to say animated, because like we've had arcade, right, right, live action.
1: Yeah, live I was in live action. It. Right, right. And and honestly that's that is a big deal because when you're talking about something like Arcane it's I'm not I'm not trying to undercut how cool it was and how legitimately high quality and great it was even if like you're like me you're not a League of Legends person it was great you're still talking about a computer generated Visual medium to another computer-generated visual medium. I was going to say the mediums it, are similar, so
2: it feels they're easier cousins. to yeah. They're cousins. I like that.
1: This is a completely different animal, and I was blown away. I was yeah. I it to me it was a lot like. The House of the Dragon adaptation, in which mm. we know a lot of the story. If you played the games, both 1 and 2, you know where this goes. People have replayed the games. There's DLC, so people have the games multiple times and for good reason. Uh, but this adaptation, it's not just like, you know, uh, making the, the parts that— wouldn't work as a television narrative, work as a tell. It's that they... Everything is really, really additive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like House of the Dragon, even if you know the story, there's a ton of surprises there for you.
2: Yeah, I think that's really a great point. I'd say definitely House of the Dragon comes to mind. Also, it reminds me kind of of what they did with the Star Wars animated shows where you're meeting these characters, but you're getting these huge moments of context and spending much more time with them. And I think especially as we go in to the later episodes, that is going to be where this show really shines. But I thought the first episode was so brilliant. I mean, we've talked about that cold open in the game, you know, quite extensively. And to be able to bring that to life here and make it even more heart-wrenching, even when you are not in control, which was our biggest question, is how does this story feel when you are not an active part of it. And you know what? Still feels as moving and engaging and exciting as ever.
1: Okay, let's get into the recap. Uh, Episode one, When You're Lost in the Darkness, written by Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann, directed by Craig Mazin. We open in 1968 on a talk show, kind of like a fictional version of Firing Line, there's a host. Uh, he's uh, talking to a pair of intellectuals about apparent, uh, you know, pandemic threats, epidemiological threats, the kind of things that keep them up at night. Uh, one of them mentions, "Hey, uh, commercial travels is this really dangerous amplifying effect? You know, bacteria or virus can be in Kenya and then it can be in Chicago and it can go around the world very quickly." And the other one has a much more interesting and seemingly out of the box concern, which is fungi. Uh, unlike viral or bacterial infections, fungi, he says, can hi- actually hijack the nervous system, and he uses LSD as an example, uh, which uh, the ergot fungus, which is the kind of like a natural basis for lysergic acid, which many surmise has caused like various. Uh, Mass freakouts in medieval times. I don't know if anybody's ever looked into this, but there's like you know there's these various like dancing plagues where Mm -hmm. like an entire village in medieval like uh, Germany just like started for hysteria, shared hysteria. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, supposition that that ergot. Uh, fungus caused that. And then he mentions uh, these very specific uh, funguses that attack ants and also wasps that hijack their their brains and basically turn them into puppets. And then he says, hey, uh, yeah, obviously like fungi can't survive temperatures uh, at uh, the, the internal temperature of the human body and hotter. But what if the work got hotter? And of course, we know that the world will get hotter <laughs> as we are living through it right now. Uh, and I, I, Rosie, I was really struck by the, the decision to go with 1968 because it was really that was the kind of like consensus, the mass American consensus, worst year in American mm-hmm. history before any of the <laughs> years that have happened Come in our recent woods. in our recent lifetimes. Uh, you, had, you know, like you had obviously Vietnam. And uh, the Tet Offensive and that was going terribly opening Americans eyes to how they they were not going to win that war, not to mention the images of violence street, you know, just like beamed into American households every single night. Martin Luther King was assassinated that year. Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated that year. Uh, There are riots that ensued. There was the Democratic National Convention, which turned into a police riot as the police just like viciously beat down protesters in full view of cameras. Prague Spring. It was a it was a really, really chaotic and crazy year. And I think it makes sense that they would it's such a small detail, but really cool that they set that talk show in that year.
2: No, I love that. I think this is such a great expositionary opening where you have these brilliant performances and it feels very Chernobyl. It feels very on the nose. There's like a I tiny very little- very sh- Chernobyl. And I I absolutely love the way that you start with the first intellectual who in our world, he was right. Because guess what? Yeah. We lived through COVID. And this, the reason that it spread so fast was very much to do with commercial travel. So you have that little nod without it feeling out of this world. But then you get to listen- To somebody basically explain how the cordyceps will work in a way that doesn't feel like an exposition dump later on. And I love the way that at the beginning, when he says fungi, people are laughing in the audience. But by the end, when he makes the point about global warming and what if the world got hotter, everyone just absolutely goes silent. And the talk show says to him, you know, well, what would happen if all of that happens? And he just looks at him and he says, well, we lose. And, Oof. you know, that's what we know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we should mention, or I feel like I, I should mention, this is 1968, fictional 1968, the first, like, official Exxon-funded uh, internal studies about... What would happen mm-hmm. when uh, petroleum, uh, you know, byproducts are ejected, hydrocarbon byproducts are ejected to the atmosphere at a mass rate, uh, c- appeared in 1977, their internal documents, where they basically were like, oh, yeah, we're going to get global warming. Like it predicted. And it, it was in
2: 1977. unbelievably specifically in real life. correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like those so,
2: recently people have been looking at those studies again yeah. and they just knew and they did it anyway.
1: Yeah, so that was only nine years uh, in fictional world after this. Uh, We open on Austin, Texas, 2003. Now here comes our cold open. I'm sure fans of the video game now are like leaning in as soon as we go here. We meet Sarah, a teenager. She wakes up her dad, Joel. It is Joel's birthday. Sarah's making him breakfast because it's her birthday. We get this uh, wonderful feel for their relationship in which Joel – Obviously the breadwinner. You can tell he takes a lot of pride and feels a lot of pressure in providing for, you know, this the this family unit that that they have here. But you can also tell that Sarah is taking care of him in mm-hmm. a very particular emotional way in these kind of small moments. Uh and it's a really wonderful acted scene. He's 36, which ages up Joel, I think, a little bit from the beginning. Yeah, video game. it
2: does. And also like I really just want to shout out Nico Parker here who plays Sarah. Oh, she's
1: so good. I'm like, man, she, I, I'm sad that I, we don't get yeah, more of her. She
2: is so brilliant. And they found all these little ways from the t shirt she wears that's from the game to the way they light her, especially once you get into the car, where there are these uncanny moments where you feel like you're in the game yeah. just visually. But she's so wonderful. I love this moment where it's kind of this Joel, yeah, he's the breadwinner, he goes to work, but really, Sarah is taking care of herself. There's this great moment when she's cooking him breakfast where he's like, Have you done your homework? And she just gives him the most scathing uh, look. Yeah, he's like, uh, What was it? uh, Fractions? Uh, (laughs) And she's just looking at him like, You know, I've like, you don't even ask me this stuff because that's not your purview. Like, you go out to work till 10 p.m. every night and you pay the rent, and I make sure things around here get done. And it's that's those two have such great chemistry.
1: That's a good call. It it reminded me – it really resonated with me because I think, you know, my mom, uh, with the help of uh, our grandma, really Mm -hmm. raised me and my brother. And I was – when it became clear that she didn't need to be like, are you doing your homework? She just, like, checked out of it because it was, like, not – it was not going to be, you know, a a big priority in terms of, like, the things that she needed to do on a day-to-day level. Like, I can't remember – I think she stopped looking at my – report card like in the fourth grade. She's like, okay, mm-hmm. you got it. You're, you're, like, fine. you're good I'm gonna I'm gonna go to work now. Um Tommy arrives. Uncle Tommy arrives. Uh, Tommy, a desert store veteran. Uh, it's clear from this is a little bit of a fuck up. He works for Joel. Joel is keeping him employed via his contracting business. Tommy was also like a little bit late. He missed the birthday. Yeah, he missed like, the like, breakfast. It's, it's, a little like, bit- eh, it's the birthday bre- Like, And also like Joel has like a time crunch. He needs to get out mm-hmm. like at a certain time so that he can spend time with Sarah. And here's Tommy fucking it up again. Uh, and as they're getting ready to head out, um, there's a news report on the radio Not a lot. It doesn't really mention anything other than that there's unrest in Jakarta and uh, American uh, citizens are being urged to leave, suggesting that whatever's happening is happening around the world.
2: Yeah, and I love this. There's a great moment here, another great little bit of character building where Tommy and Joel try and work out where Jakarta is. And yes, they both good. just have no idea. And I Middle East. I, yeah, I love the way that that shows like the smallness of their life. And before it has to expand into this kind of yeah. huge, epic kind of adventure of going across the country in this to totally new way. But of course, Sarah knows because Sarah, Sarah is the student. Sarah, is, it's so good.
1: Is, This is how you do exposition. This is how you do character building Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, you're just telling me how these people are. Because also there's not even
2: a lot of dialogue. Like there's actually still a lot of space and a lot of like eating and quietness and Tommy's putting something in. It doesn't feel like you're constantly being bombarded by prestige TV exposition. It very much feels like you're in the game. And something else that kind of blew my mind I wasn't expecting was the use of the handheld camera which is such a huge part of the game and the visuals of the game is that feeling of that shaky cam. And as soon as we kind of follow Sarah up the stairs, we really get into that and you feel like you're in the game and and you're controlling that character.
1: So uh, Joel and Tommy head out to Tommy's truck uh, Sarah goes up to her dad's uh, dresser. She gets a little bit of money out there. Maybe if you haven't uh, played the game, you're like, Sarah, you rapscallion. Takes a little <laughs> money, but also takes his uh, his broken watch, uh, a, a great recreation of the watch from the game, a kind of field watch style watch, military style watch. And then also – and I thought it was like a wonderful oh. – artistic flourish she takes out his folding knife which has this wonderful engravement of like horses running uh on the on the blade you know something that uh we will the game players will know from the second from the sequel is is you know the addition of horses and she just kind of sits with it and considers it for a little while. And it feels like this wonderful, like almost magical moment, you know? Yeah,
2: it's that feeling as when you're a kid, you know, she runs her finger down the blade, like she's perceiving the knife and understanding in that moment, like everything scary about it, everything about the danger of what it can do, but also the beauty. And it's just such a good childhood moment. And it also very much feels once again like you're in the game and you've picked yeah. something up out of the drawer and you're looking at it and she kind of gets distracted by the knife and is just staring at it until Joel starts bibbing the horn. Yeah. And bip, you kind of get bip. that, whoa, she, and she breaks out of her reverie and it's just a really great moment.
1: Yeah, just is really, really cool. So uh, Sarah comes out and we meet the next door neighbors uh, an elderly woman named Connie who seems uh, like she clearly can't move on her own and is probably, you know, it, it's certainly suggested by what you see in the kind of throes of, like, dementia or mm-hmm. something of that sort. And her son, uh, Buddy Garrity from Friday Night Lights, who we all love. <laughs> they uh, It's very clear that they are lonely. They invite Sarah over that night to come just, like, hang out. Joel, uh, you know, is lightly teasing her about it, and it's very clear that like neither of them want to spend any time over there. But also, like Sarah, through that, and it's a wonderful performance again, uh, lets you understand what a warm and generous person she yeah, is. Yeah, she doesn't want to go, there. but she yeah, she will. She's go.
2: hung out with them. She's kept them busy. You know, she's kept them company, but she doesn't want to do it. Neither does Joel. I I really feel for anyone watching the show who didn't know where this was going. Because their report is such a brilliant fake-out and they're so wonderful together.
1: Later in school... Sarah is sitting in English class when she notices, uh, because of the reflection from a student's bracelet, that he's got a tremor. What a just
2: great think visual it's storytelling. A, just really good. You don't do a seizure. <laughs> you don't do anything. Again, it adds, I love that use of the word magical that you say. Yeah. Because it really is this kind of magical realism, that liminal space between like, is everything normal or is something huge about to change? It yeah. captures that feeling when you're a kid of like, the light in her face in class. And I'm like, is yeah. it someone she's got a crush on who's trying to communicate yeah. with her or something? That's and what I thought initially see, as well. It's like, it's just a little tremor. They didn't go all out. And it's yeah. just that Sarah is beginning to notice that yes. things are, something is wrong.
1: Right. And then as she, as she leaves school and goes to uh, get the watch fixed, here again is another hint of, Something big about to change. There are police cars racing around and the uh, the repairman's wife comes out and basically shoes Sarah out of the shop after only a few minutes. It's like three o'clock. They Mm -hmm. close at seven. She's like, no, 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 we're shutting down. She clearly seems panicked, but in a way where she doesn't want to alarm Sarah. Luckily, the repairman has finished his work um, and she just tells Sarah, go home go home, go home, go home. Uh, Sarah ends up at the neighbors. Now, as as she's going to the neighbors, there's military jets that kind of do a Mm -hmm. quick boom overhead, which, depending on what part of the country you live in, is maybe not a a strange sight, but, you know, these kind of, like, clues are accruing. I was
2: definitely definitely catching some jokes about that. They do, again, they do such a good job, this kind of walking through the suburbs with these huge jets booming. But as someone who's lived the last seven years in like the South Bay of LA, that's just my everyday life. Helicopter, jet. I was like, I will never know when the zombie apocalypse is coming because it will just sound like normal. I'll just be like, oh, they're
1: at it again. Yeah, even in LA proper up where I am, you know, we're... The entire county is nestled between several huge military mm-hmm. bases and there is constant traffic over so again we would not probably know That would not give us a hint
3: but Sarah yeah. knows
2: and again yeah. I love I really love you know what I thought was so cool I think a lot of times in movies if you see a singular person especially a child and they're walking and above them are these kind of military jets that mm-hmm. feels almost like a triumphant Top Gun-esque victory moment, you know? Yeah. And they subvert that here. She's just so alone and terrified. And she knows in her heart, like, something bad is going on. But just nobody else has
1: noticed it yet. And again, this is an example of how additive this show is. In the game, of course. hmm uh, we we only get the scene where you know Joel wakes Sarah up and she presents him with the watch and he asks how she got it fixed and and you never really know this the show uses the game almost as an outline mm-hmm. to drop story beats in between these other beats which we already know about and it does it in this really expansive wonderful way so over at the neighbors the Adler's um you know she asks hey have you noticed anything that Miss Adler's Daughter asks, "Um, have you noticed anything uh, strange going on? The woman essentially says no. Um, And then it's like, hey, uh, making cookies, raisin cookies. It's uh, again, clear Sarah doesn't want those, but she's very, very kind and nice.
2: Okay, I need to say so. So they're making the raisin cookies, right? Sarah goes into the living room. In my opinion, what is the scariest moment of the season? Oh, very, very creepy. She she starts to look at the DVDs, right? Something yeah. that obviously we're meant to guess like, it's 2003, but she's kind of into them and she wants she wants to borrow a DVD. This is obviously part of the reason that she's cool with going over there. Oh, the
1: hangover. Look, they have the yeah. hangover. Fact, <laughs> and,
2: as, and, and, and as she's picking a DVD, she is in focus and behind her out of focus is the mother. Is, yeah. And and she begins to have a seizure. And you see just blurry in the background. And if you're not paying attention, you might not even see it because Sarah is right there in full focus yeah. looking at these DVDs with all the excitement of a teenager looking at DVDs. And in the background, we see the mother's mouth open and kind of, you yeah, know, contort, if you've played the game, yeah. what this means. But it's it's looking bad. It's, it's looking, looking bad. bad. But Sarah, Sarah missed it and Sarah gets out of this moment unscathed, and asks to borrow the DVD, escapes the raisins, and heads out the house.
1: What she does notice is that the the Adler's dog has taken a very keen interest in uh, in Mrs. Adler and is staring at her in a very unsettling way. Later, Joel arrives home from work. He is an hour late. He seems very tired. There are issues at work that he's like, you don't care about this. He didn't bring the cake that he had promised to bring home. He had promised to bring it. He then promises again, listen, on my life, I will get one tomorrow which is just Heartbreaking. so brutal. Uh, Sarah then pulls out the DVD, which is some kind of ninja action movie yeah, sequel. like Viper 2. <gasps> yeah, Viper, Viper, Viper two. 2 or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's one that he cl- very clearly, uh, you know, it was eager to watch. So they settle in to watch it. Sarah falls asleep. Uh, while she's asleep, Joel gets a call from Tommy And Tommy has been arrested very clearly again. Uh, And he needs somebody to bail him out because it's Friday. And if he and if Joel doesn't come bail him out tonight, that's it. He's in there for he's in county for lockup for, you know, the the entire weekend. And Joel leaves, leaving Sarah at home in the gathering dark. And it's in that time about 2 a.m., a little after 2 a.m., that shit really starts to go wrong. Sarah wakes up to the sound of helicopters the sound of you know uh, uh, uh various electrical infrastructure uh exploding other explosions she car alarms dogs barking she wakes up uh turns on the tv only the emergency broadcast message which is very concerning always uh, very in- alarming yeah and then things just happen w- with a gathering and terrible momentum the the adler's dog shows up. Sarah's like, what? You know, it's panicked. It runs away from her. She goes to check on the neighbors. They are dead or mortally wounded. And Connie Adler, the seemingly elderly and infirm woman, is like hunched over uh, her daughter or daughter-in-law just doing something horrible with, with strange tentacles coming out of her mouth. Sarah flees right into the path of Joel uh, in Tommy's truck. They are pulling up, clearly, like, they are very panicked as well. Tommy has a fucking rifle out, so he's, yeah, like, Joel ready. hits
2: Joel hits Mrs. Adler with a massive wrench. Like, yeah. they know something is going down. I think this is a really smart... When Sarah wakes up, we're talking about something that is almost directly taken from the game. That is the moment when you are in control. This is the part
1: where it's... This, this is, is yes. the part,
2: yeah. and you and you're walking around the dark house and you're looking for your dad. In the game, she's woken up by a phone call from Tommy, but I really like this added context that they bring to Joel and Tommy's relationship here, where the reason Joel is out is not because of work, it's because he's getting Tommy. And she's yeah. woken up just by the general chaos of what occurs. But in this moment that she gets outside and you see Joel and Tommy come together to protect her, you see a different side of that brotherly relationship. These two can do anything together, including just, like, absolutely wreck someone. Like, this is not the first time they've done that, though it is the first time they've probably done it to a zombie.
1: Yeah, Tommy ends up uh, shooting Mrs. Adler, which is shocking to Sarah and certainly shocking to Tommy and and Joel, who have... No idea what is happening. They flee in the truck. Uh, various things happen. The truck ends up, ca- and this is the part. And this is the, so from the game. This is the part. Yeah, this is the part of the episode that is like ripped, mm-hmm. almost directly from the game. There's the one shot where they're driving up to an intersection, and and Tommy is saying, "What are we doing, Joel?" And Joel's like, "Okay, we're going to take seventy-one. We're going to get out of town." And that is is almost shot yes. for shot. And then when with you the see squad cars going by, and when you see Jimmy's house on fire. Yeah, that's exactly that Jimmy's house on fire, amazing. that's it.
2: And then you get to that moment that we were talking about so much uh, on the our last Last of Us episode where we we're talking about the game where Tommy's trying to navigate his way through these crowds of people who are trying to survive and Joel is just saying, "Kill them. Run them over. Don't care. Yeah, run drive, them over. We drive, drive, got to do drive. it. We got to do it." Same as that moment that we talked about that says so much about Joel where he won't help the family with the kids. Yeah. You know that happens in the show. It's very interesting, and much to the show's credit, how well they have managed to cherry-pick the moments that make you yeah. feel like you're directly in the game. Just as you might be getting a little bit out of the the direct canon of the game, they just go, boom, throw you back yeah. in to a moment... At, And this is so well done, and and you get that Sarah shots of her looking all around, seeing
1: everything that's going on. Yeah, they play it off her face really wonderfully. And it's a testament to, again, how high quality that game is, that you can Mm -hmm. scoop an entire scene out and have it be, you know, AAA television. And
2: they set up something here that I feel like really comes through in the car that then is definitely brought through to the kind of the next part of the show, which is they begin to start lighting it very much like the game. In that moment, you feel there are moments when you're looking at Nico Parker's face and it just feels like you're in that uncanny space of being in the game because of the way that they light it. And as this kind of continues and then you get to that, you know, the time jump that we're going to get to, from then on, there are so many moments where if you pause your TV, it was like watching Sin City for the first time. When I watched that movie, I would pause it And it would just look like a (laughs) Oh my God, it's the panel. It's the the panel from the comic. Or it feels (laughs) like it. And this is like that where especially in this moment and then later when Joel and Tess begin to kind of go around and look around the the quarantine zone, there are so many moments where if you pause them, you're like, is it just from the game? Is it just from the game? They're so good at building the mise-en-scene and the cinematography and then adding this kind of lighting and I'm sure filters that make you feel like it without it ever feeling too much.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, it unfolds slightly differently. We get a big plane crash. <laughs> that was um, cool. That is what causes the, uh, Tommy's truck to wreck. Joel and Sarah are separated from Tommy. Sarah is injured. Joel has to carry her. Chased by infected. They rush down to the riverside where they all agreed they would, they would meet Uncle Tommy there. Um And a gunshot rings out taking down the infected that's chasing Joel and Sarah and it's a soldier and here is the moment again almost played directly from the game where um you know Joel and carrying Sarah like we're not sick we need help and the soldier's like no don't move and then radios for confirmation about what to do and i thought this was whoever this voice actor is, great performance from this person because you get a little bit more of the, when the, when the soldier gets the order and goes, I'm sorry, could you say that again? Mm-hmm. You at least feel like, okay, this is really fucked up and everybody understands how fucked up this is. But it, it also a testament to how Really dire the situation is that the only thing that anybody can come up with is don't let this infection spread Mm -hmm. by any means necessary. You take people down. And so gunshots, you know, the soldier opens fire. Joel is grazed. But, of course, Sarah is mortally wounded. Tommy shoots the soldier and we get a really heartrending scene of Sarah expiring and Joel's arms almost before. and, And this is another great another great little moment. She dies and he misses it. Yeah. He's like, he he looks away and he doesn't see it. And it's, it's such a microcosm of their relationship. Exactly. And the thing that I love,
2: again, if we're talking about like character beats and moments, look, Tommy yeah. might be the fuck up, but at every point it is Tommy who is coming in clutch at the last minute. Tommy's yeah. the one who shoots the soldier. The, the soldier is about to shoot Joel just in the face. Tommy shoots him. And then it's Tommy who notices that Sarah dies. Yeah, But it's Joel who's holding her. Joel's just, he's hes trying to get her up. He's going to save her. It's going to be okay. And she's on his shoulder and he misses it. But Tommy sees. Just so many interesting, that yeah. could seem like a du ex machina so that, you know, uh, Joel doesn't die. But it never reads like that. It just says these are this brother's relationship and it is extremely fucked up. But this is just how it's always been. And in that moment, again, like you said, Joel misses this huge moment it's that it's the note from the game you know it's, yeah it's be back later dad without yeah. the love it's all the little things he did that didn't that are going to haunt him after sarah's untimely death just huge shout out to nico parker yeah I wouldn't, I wouldn't, cool detail I'm, I'm like please please flashbacks, bring her back something. for flashbacks yeah, yeah. like she yeah. is so brilliant
0: so yeah i would love to see it
1: x-ray vision will be back
3: and we're back. We jump to
1: Boston 20 years later, 2023. A young boy in what we are going to discover is kind of mid stages of infection staggers to the gates of the quarantine zone formerly Boston's North End, one of several areas run by uh, the Fedra authorities, what's left essentially of the US government, and after some very cursory tests. I mean, it's clear by looking at the kid, they show a sign about like the timeline of infection, which is basically you're infected. And then a day later, you are mm-hmm. a full on raving zombie. And there are various stages along the way where you can tell by tremors in the limbs and et cetera. And it's clear that this boy is in the throes of this. And a soldier, kneels tells him some, oh. you know, wonderful platitudes. And then they inject him with it- some killing serum and bye-bye.
2: I was absolutely just flabbergasted is the only word, yeah? That is like the only word. How do you follow the Sarah cold open, which is, we've talked about it, everyone's talked about it, one of the best cold opens of all time. How do you follow something that heartbreaking with this double gut punch of one of the most horrific? It's, It's so... Sad, and it's so well done. Like, like you said, you know, this soldier, this kind of Fedra agent who seems to be like part cop, part part kind of soldier. You know, we see this test and it goes red. You know, red is bad, green is safe, red is danger. And she stands and she says, You know, once you're better, we're going to get you all these toys. What's your favorite food? You're going to be able to eat it. Don't worry, he's just giving you an injection. It's medicine. It's medicine. And then, you know, boom, he's just a dead body in the back of the van about to get burn. I mean that was that to me was the kind of grim and gritty like bleak reality of the apocalypse this kind of post apocalyptic world that the walking dead often strove for but it was very rare that they would hit it in that way emotionally to me and i just thought that was so well done and just absolutely horrible
1: not to make this a walking dead Criticism fest, but I, I, you can't help in that moment where the boy comes to the top of a rise and you see Boston spread Mm out before him to not make the comparison. I, 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 it in my mind immediately flashed back to the Walking Dead television show, of course, and I thought the one detail there's this. It's small again but it's so good, and shouts to the production designers and the wardrobe people, his taped-up shoes. Yeah. We're not making new shoes, you no. know? And so here are these, like, scavenged pair of basketball shoes with the soles taped to the upper mm-hmm. using yeah. packing tape that he's shuffling forward in.
2: And, uh, and then, like, you know, that was such an intentional uh, choice that, like Super Producer Saul just said, yeah. when we see his body... The shoes are the thing that let us know it's the kid. Yeah, It's like the size of his body, his red T-shirt, but those shoes, that's when you really know like, oh, they just, they murdered that kid.
1: Yeah. So after we, and honestly, what choice do they have? I don't they, know. I, it's, I, it's I, I it's don't a, know. It's a complex conversation,
2: but let's, let's put a pin in it slash let's yes, remember let's this moment that. because- this is, a, this is a moment that- This is the central this conversation is, this is of the This is the central story. conversation of this show. Who decides yeah. who gets yeah. to live and die in a zombie apocalypse? Is this virus a dangerous thing that is killing humans? Yes, but is it also an evolutionary uh, part of nature? Is this just uh, kill or be killed? Is this Darwinism? And who gets to make those decisions? And also, as we'll know when we meet Ellie soon- we don't necessarily know how everyone's going uh, to respond right. to a bite. Correct. So they, it, it's a really brutal moment. But like you said, this has kept the quarantine zone relatively safe for 20 years.
1: So when next we see this young boy's body, it's, be, it's being carried from a truck by Joel and dropped into a, a fire to incinerate it, along with dozens it seems of other bodies people who have died from infection and from other reasons and uh there is joel he's now 56 and this is how he earns his ration cards which are the currency of Mm -hmm. the quarantine zone you go out you you go out for daily work, whatever needs to be done around the quarantine zone, whether it's, uh, you know, going down in the sewer and cleaning it out or street sweeping or what have you. But of course, Joel also on the side has a thriving criminal enterprise with his now uh, uh, obviously lover, changed from the game, it's only suggested that she's his uh, you know, romantic partner, with his partner Tess, who uh, together they, you know, are, are, are active in the kind of like smuggling networks that keep the QZ going and that clearly happen with the connivance of various members of the quarantine zone authorities, as yeah. we see later when Joel sells uh, uh, some... Hydro pills manufactured at a federal uh, facility down in Atlanta uh, to a guard uh, in exchange for cigarettes and some ration cards. Uh, plus a car battery to be delivered later that Joel needs for something we're not sure. Now, of course, Fedra is not the only force in the zone. There's also the Fireflies. We see their graffiti all around. And they are an armed militia dedicated to, uh, we're later to find out, bring back democracy. Again, their aims are kind of just like Fedra is evil and we need to overthrow them and they and know, like what their Fedra's- their political agenda is hard to pin down yeah. similarly, but we the hints that we get are tantalizing.
2: Yeah. Fedra is basically a fascistic dictatorship that is keeping the people in these quarantine zones because it's easier for them and they can make money off it and they can run their little, you know, uh executions and they can run their little, you know, uh smuggling rings and everything. And 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 Fireflies are kind of just a a, at this point like a general revolutionary militia. Like we don't if you've played the game, you know kind of what their main aims are. But like you said, this idea of kind of a generic idea of democracy coming back and and the idea that there is something that Fedra are hiding from people.
1: Um The guard later warns Joel to stay off the streets because apparently Fedra is really going to start cracking down on the fireflies very, very soon. And the guard essentially says, hey, mistakes happen. We're going to just shoot anybody we see. So stay off the street elsewhere. We meet Tess and in a great reconfiguring of Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. the storytelling from the game, Tess is is being held by Robert, who is another one of these kind of, you know, catch-as-catch-can criminals in the QZ zone, a smuggler. He's got his henchmen, uh, you know, standing around her. She is sitting on a chair. She's got a fresh black eye, clearly bruised up. They tuned her up significantly. But the dynamic is fascinating. Robert Mm -hmm. has... Very clearly, ripped Tess off on a deal for a car battery. Not delivered the car battery, you know. Clearly, the one Joel uh, was interested in. But here's the dynamic: Robert has Tess prisoner, but he's very, very obviously frightened of her, and frightened of her retribution. Frightened of what Tess and Joel. He just says, you know, the person you're with, what they might do if they harbor this grudge on the on the on the. On the deal that he has double-crossed them on, and he's basically saying, "Hey, okay, Tess, listen. Can we just? Can you just forgive me that I fucked you over?" Because. just do it. Please, like, walk out of here and we're fine. And Tess is basically like, Yeah, don't worry about she's it. Like, hey. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 it's fine. Listen, you know, and he's like, And Robert, it's really funny because at one point, Robert's like, But my guys, they beat you up. And she's like, Yeah, but like, just fucking yell she's at like, them. If if she's like, do, It's yeah. done, man. It's yeah, done. Yeah, don't worry right. about yeah. it. Yell don't at worry about reprimand it. them. Yell at them right now. Go yell at them right now. They're your guys. Yeah. 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 And, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, the discussion, however, is cut short when there is a huge explosion that blows out the wall of this dungeon that that, that Robert is – this basement of an apartment complex that uh, Robert is is holding Tess in. And this is a, a Firefly attack against Fedra forces. Tess escapes but then is quickly scooped up by Fedra. Um, and we cut to elsewhere for uh, a Firefly safe house in which we see a young girl chained to a radiator uh, and this is Ellie going under the name of Veronica you know trying to hide her identity somewhat real name Ellie but telling everybody that her name is Veronica right now and these various people that are coming in are testing her for the symptoms of infection do you get you know count to 10 uh, do you know and hold it. put your arm out and hold it no tremors her her thinking is completely clear. She flips them off. Um, <laughs> and it's a really, really cool, unexpected. Uh, introduction to one of the main characters of this show, and I thought that, you know, the same thing with the with the Tess and Robert scene where. Very, very smartly, Mazin has given you the beats of the things that happen in those first few chapters of the game mm-hmm. before you think you're going to get them. The explosion doesn't happen at the checkpoint. It happens right there when Robert and uh, Tess are having their discussion and you don't even, you know, in the game, you're... You find Robert at the end of like this kind of long string of fights and missions, but you you get it early and then here you meet Ellie early. It's, It's really, really well paced and well done.
2: Yeah, I love those. I also love this because we know that this is another great sleight of hand. We know from playing the game that both Tess and Joel are killers. They have to be to survive. And Tess especially seems to have a very brutal outlook on on what you need to do they do a really smart thing here where once again they set up your expectations oh these are the heroes even if they have to do things that you know sell drugs da, 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 those things that now we know are not some morally wrong things they're just to do with situation and and the way that you live and this is a very interesting exploration of this new economy and what people have to do to survive but we know that when things get going, we're going to see this different side of them. And I find that very interesting because this is a kind of, even after that wild opening, this is a very slow burn episode in the quarantine zone. Yeah. This is knowing where things are. That explosion that happens, Tess just takes that in her stride. You know this is happening a lot. Like these attacks are happening and it is so interesting. to And that moment of, you know, Tess, you know, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, I was just going to say, yeah.
1: the... It's wonderful how they set up how deadly Tess and Joel are just yeah. by Robert being fucking scared exactly, of them. Exactly,
2: exactly. It's so smart. We don't need to do a 10-minute
1: chase we scene. Don't I love that part we yeah, don't need to them. We don't need to
2: kill 50 people in the first opening no, of the show. Is that is just
1: scared. Also, I have to say... He has this woman in his clutches, and he's She's scared getting tied to a chair, her.
2: and he's scared. Yeah, he's... <laughs> I will say as well, something I think is very smart about this first episode that I think is very... Interesting and quite a brave choice to not focus on that POV shoot 'em up aspect of this game.
1: I agree. It goes away from that very consciously yeah. in various moments when you think it's going to go to that.
2: And it's very interesting. And and then I'm sure, you know, we will get those moments in later episodes because this is an apocalypse that is similar to what we would know as zombies. It's this Cordyceps apocalypse. So you're going to have to kill some monsters. You're probably going to have to kill some soldiers, which we know from what we've seen in the opening, Joel won't have a problem doing because they killed his kid. But I love that instead of it going straight there, which I have to say, so many action games, that is often the focus of the adaptations that we've seen in live action, which I think can be part of the problem. And instead, we get this ultimate world building that brings in the characters early on. Ellie, Tess, Robert, in new ways, but that still feels very much in line with what we love about this game.
1: Yes, it's it's so good. We see Joel skipping a huge line of people waiting to... Uh, go sit down with a ham radio operator, which is apparently the only means of communicating beyond the walls of Great bit of world building. Really, really wonderful bit of world building. Hey, you're skipping the line, but nobody does anything. (laughs) Nobody wants to step to Joel. Uh, It's clear that he just has a very, very dangerous aspect. He sits down with the operator who clearly knows him and has talked to him quite a bit. The cigarettes that he bartered for are for this guy. And the guy basically says, hey, nothing, no messages from Tommy. I'm sorry. I've been sitting here when I'm not sitting here. My wife is sitting here. When My wife isn't sitting here. My son is sitting here and not the stupid one. The smart (laughs) one is sitting here. And there's been no messages at all. Uh, And The operator pinpoints for Joel the last known position that Tommy had, which was this radio tower that was communicating with Boston. And it's all the way out in fucking Wyoming. And Joel's like, great, I'm going there. I guess I'll have to go there and find out what happened to Tommy. And the operator is like, no, 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 Joel. What? It's three quarters of the way across the country. And he says... The thing that is, you know, the 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 basic thesis of every single zombie story, there are worse things out there than the infected. And it's us. It's yeah. slavers. It's raiders. It's the various depraved human beings that uh, either are because thriving. of their own needs for survival or because— any kind of societal check on their depravity has been removed. Currently run things in those wastelands out there don't go. And Joel's like, oh, I think I'm going to go. So he goes home. Uh, he, he goes to a hiding place and takes out his map and a crowbar and an axe, some various weaponry that he needs. Uh, and there's a great moment where the camera switches from Joel kneeling at his hiding spot to the bed, and then it pans down, and you see that the bed is on cinder blocks. And it's a really cool small moment where you it's telling you that all kind of steel mm-hmm. that can be repurposed for weapons or anything like hard metal has been scavenged from this yeah, world. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. Joel has Joel has certainly repurposed that stuff himself, and then Joel— Downs a bunch of oxy and a bunch of zone alcohol and he passes out. And I'm like, Joel, man, you're 56, bro. You need. Take a break. You need to slow it down, please. Uh, When he wakes up, Tess is there. He sees her injuries and he's alarmed. She uh, lies to him about some of the details about what happened, but then tells him, hey, I was also locked up by uh, uh, by Fedra. And then. Says, okay, now here is the thing that happened, and basically tells him that, yeah, Robert double crossed us for the battery, which means no truck, which means no going to get Tommy. And Joel is fucking irate, but Tess. And here you're getting a wonderful understanding Mm -hmm. of their interplay. And it's a good subversion of the game in which Tess is the psychomaniac (laughs) killing everybody. Here is Tess being like, whoa, 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 Joel, calm down. If you walk out of here half cocked looking Mm -hmm. for Robert, Mm -hmm. he's terrified of you. He is going to freak out and he is going to flee and we're never going to fucking find him. So you need to cool down. Act like nothing is wrong, nothing is bothering you, so that we can find out where Robert is and we can fucking kill him. Uh, And it's, again, a wonderful kind of subversion of the test character where she's kind of like the headier one, but also a killer, still a killer.
2: I love that she, like... You, it starts with this really tender moment where she gets into the bed and like spoons yeah, him and you kind of yeah. see this cuddle. And then they just quickly get
1: to that talk about
2: Murder like don't time. worry, we'll kill him. Don't worry. That's the oh. that's the pillow talk in that
1: house. <laughs> yeah. We go uh back to the safe house and we meet Marlene, uh the Firefly leader, uh played by Merle Dandridge, who by the way uh, same voice actor and, and uh, you know, mocap actor from the game. So really Love cool that. Uh, moment there. Yeah, yeah. Um, she gets some very, very tough questions thrown at her by her lieutenant, Kim. Why are we attacking the feds for no reason? <laughs> this is pointless. You know, like, why is there a random girl chained to a radiator in there? Marley is like, okay, everybody get out of the fucking room. And then she tells Kim that, The attacks on Fedra are to lure Fedra away from the safe house that they are at right Mm -hmm. now. They're happening all over the zone, but not here. And secondarily, the girl is important and here's why. And then she hands Kim a note that was, I guess, sent from another Firefly safe house, not in the zone, but like across the state, which we're gonna guess right now is like some sort of laboratory that, you know, like there are scientists involved with the fireflies. There's somewhere there's a lab where
2: people are moving towards this idea of a cure, but they're not federal people, they're fireflies.
1: Right, and so whatever is in that note, it's clearly big because Kim is like, oh shit, whatever you need, mm-hmm. like I get it now, like <laughs> we'll do it. Elsewhere, Tess gets the location for Robert's battery deal. Uh, And it's a building that they remember and they know how to get to is accessible via the subway tunnels. Back at the safe house, Marlene uh, gives, quote unquote, Veronica, who we know as Ellie, her pack back. Here's this wonderful peace offering, right? The pack contains her switchblade, Mm -hmm. um, which Ellie eagerly leaps to, gets it right in her hand, telling you, this is what this world is. This is a girl that knows nothing other than this. Literally, she grew up. She is a at, this is her normal She was born life. in this world. Yeah. This is it. Uh, and Marlene then explains to Ellie that it, it was she. That placed Ellie at the Fedra Military Academy, basically an orphanage where they train mm-hmm. kids to eventually be Fedra soldiers slash cops all those years ago. And this brings up some really, really fascinating questions like is Marlene ex-Fedra? Are the Fireflies ex-Fedra? Yeah, yeah, are, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah.
2: Are they a break-off group? of a part of Fedra that was trying to find a cure and then Fedra kind of went corrupt and changed, went lazy yeah. and
1: changed. So they broke off. And has have the Fireflies been earmarking kids for something? Like this suggestion that they are involved in some way in Ellie's life from the very beginning is fascinating and it That's feels a like big, a thread that we're going to unspool yeah. more and more. Like is is this firefly mission towards a cure has is it more planned out than this seemingly ad hoc oh we found this girl and now we exactly. we need to move her someplace is there a plan that has been kind of in motion for a while it's suggested here and it's fascinating
2: i think that's a really important thing to know especially cuz this is a very interesting addition uh, Again, I will point people towards the girl with all the gifts that came out kind of contemporary to this. This sounds almost directly inspired by the setup of that book where we meet a bunch of kids in a school classroom who are being taught in a kind of military school and then you come yeah. to learn something about them. So I, I love this. I think as we know where this is going because we played the game and the game yeah. is heartbreaking and amazing, I'll be very interested to see... What the implications of this are, because they could be really, really massive, and they could also either add to or take away a little bit from that. Yeah, that yeah It's a dangerous. Impact.
1: It's a dangerous play for sure. Yeah, so I, I'm in very interested, but
2: I'm excited to see it, especially because uh, Marlene is so great. Just in this, yeah. w- we, this is like really the first time we've gotten to meet her, and, and you really get that connection between her and Ellie. And I, I want to know more. I want to know if they, they were picking kids, if there was some kind of study they did, some kind of DNA that they were looking for. It's very interesting.
1: We get a mention here from Marlene of Riley, who is a character from The Last of Us DLC and who we know from that game had a very close relationship with Ellie. Um, and it's, it's very clear that Riley has has died somehow. Marlene is using Riley's example to say, hey, was Riley a terrorist? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, Ellie's like, oh, the Firefly's terrorist. She's like, well, was Riley a terrorist? Like, we're not terrorists. And then she later tells Ellie the reason for all this trouble. Ellie is the only known person who has been infected with the Cordyceps fungus, who has not become a zombie, did not fall ill, is seemingly immune. Huge, huge deal. Um... Elsewhere. Tess and Joel are in the subway tunnels where we see what happens to you after the kind of zombie oh. phase of the cordyceps infection has run its course. You basically just turn into a mushroom. Yeah. A disgusting mushroom that explodes out of your body and 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 glues you to whatever surface you're corpse happened to explode next to uh it's this very body horror thing again this very aliens alien kind of like look of being like uh, molded into uh, a surface and it's super super gross and notably tess hard ass is terrible like is jump scared when she yeah, sees it she is
2: jump scared it's v- it it lets you know that even within the quarantine zone where these people are battle-hardened for 20 years, there are things that can shock them. There are things that being chill to kill a man for some pills, that's not going to stop you being scared by the fact that there is a nightmarish mushroom fungus that could take you and turn you into a wall decoration. You know, it's it's horrific. And I love this because I also think it leans in again to that question that we talk about, which is like this... Nature, evolution, like, yeah.
1: This is also this scene... Great addition by subtraction. So in the game here, this is your first encounter when they go into the tunnels, your first encounter with the spores and what to do. Your characters take out gas masks and you walk through the spores and you're not infected, which never made sense because like the spores, you take off the gas mask, the spores are still all over your clothes. They're still it. in, in your fucking in. hair. You're gonna, still going to breathe them in. So uh, very wisely, Mazen and Druckmann for the adaptation have done away with the, the fucking gas mask. And now it's, Zombie stuff, direct bite. It's bites, like, right? The, yeah, yeah. It seems uh,
2: like from Ellie's arm and from what we see that it's yes. some kind of bite, some kind of blood situation, like like all classical zombies.
1: Yes. Tess and Joel arrive at the building, and guess what? It's the Firefly safe house. Uh, they discover that a gunfight has broken out, and Robert, along with a number of Fireflies, have been killed. Robert died, man, doing what he loved trying to fucking double-cross somebody. It turns <laughs> Selling a <out> busted battery. <laughs> to sell a busted battery. It turns out the battery didn't work. And uh, and the Fireflies were like, hey, we're not buying this, and a gunfight broke out, and they all died. Except for Marlene, who is gut shot, very seriously wounded, and Kim, who doesn't have an ear anymore. Folks, these are not exactly the Navy SEALs, the Fireflies. No. <laughs> like, why? Just a quick aside. Big, you know, top secret safe house. We're, we're launching attacks all across the zone to draw Fedra away. Why are you doing this here? Why
0: are you doing here get, for
2: your battery?
1: Just get do just it gather, somewhere, else. somewhere else. Literally,
2: Robert has like a shitty hideout that just got blown <laughs> yeah. up. Like, go there. Like, go anywhere there. Why did you bring this man <laughs> who loves to double cross people to your secret safe house where you're keeping...
1: The salvation yeah, of the known the, world.
2: Like, please hey, let's, do us Let's
1: do the deal. Let's do the deal in the hallway outside where we're holding Ellie. Like, let's yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. No, Doesn't matter, where What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, what <laughs> the fuck are we doing? Anyway, uh, with the fireflies based at this safe house, there's other fireflies, but they you know, the ones based here, now apparently wiped out. Marlene has no choice but to offer Joel and Tess, who she knows are hard asses, very capable, she says. Offer them a deal. If they will take Ellie to a group of fireflies waiting across uh, the city at the old state house outside the QZ, she will provide Joel with a truck, with gas, with a fucking fresh battery in the truck, guns, whatever they need to make their journey to Wyoming to go find Tommy. Now, Joel. You know, Tess is like, do you trust her? And of course, no. Who does, who does Joel trust not. A, a, at all in this world? Clearly d- does not trust her. But um, we get a few pieces of information. One that Marlene knows, not only knows Joel from reputation, but knows them because Tommy was a firefly. And this is a point of contention between Joel and Marlene, who Joel feels turned his brother against him in some form of fashion. Oh, we should also mention that (laughs) in this moment, Ellie comes bursting out and gives you an idea of the fight fierceness that she has. Comes bursting out of her room, switchblade at the ready, and Joel just like throws her into a wall. He just lashes her
2: into that uh, wall. Like he does not care. She is nothing to him, a sandbag. He just throws her in. And then Joel's like toying with her, keeping her knife. You know, it doesn't set up a particularly great rapport between the two, but it shows us a lot about Ellie. And another thing this episode does is keep in one of everyone's favorite things about Ellie, which is like, she curses like a a drunken sailor. And they kept that in there. And to see Bella Ramsey, who's just was so great as Liana Mormont and is now just bringing that same attitude, but even more so... It's it's just wonderful to see it. But yeah, when Joel throws yeah. her against that wall, I mean, you feel the impact.
1: Yeah, they are wonderful in this role. Um, and I like that, just like the introduction of Ellie and Joel in the game, it, the show kind of throws the moment away a little bit. Like maybe in lesser hands, there'd be this instant Joel looks at Ellie Oh my God! It's Sarah. a girl. Yeah, it's a girl about the age. Joel's seen teenage girls before. Like he's seen uh, children the age of his his daughter. There, it's it's a throwaway moment. I think that makes the the relationship that grows between them even more impactful mm-hmm. uh, later on. Uh, so yeah, Tess smells desperation. Understands that Marlene needs them, and also has access to shit that they want. So Tess steps up, makes the deal, says, okay, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take her. But if we get to the spot and the Fireflies then want to take us to another place to give us the shit, we kill Ellie right there. Mm -hmm. The Fireflies that we're meeting need to have the truck, the guns, the battery, everything right there so we can leave right there. And if that isn't ready, again, we execute ellie and marley's like great good yes and ellie's like wait hold on <laughs> 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 <awesome>. Sorry, what? <laughs> so they all leave uh, joel takes ellie to his apartment and puts her inside while tess uh, a- a- and joel stay outside in the hallway to kind of discuss like what happens next in that brief time Ellie breaks <laughs> Joel's <laughs> smuggling code that he has hidden in a uh, in a uh, a book of pop music hits. Um, the only part of the code she doesn't figure out in this moment is what 80s music means. Um, Joel comes back. Tess goes off to get supplies and Joel immediately falls asleep. A nice inversion of of the you know, the opening scene in which it's Sarah that falls asleep mm-hmm. and Joel that stays awake. Joel immediately nods off when he wakes up. Ellie is telling him that he mumbles in his sleep uh, and she's looking out at the rain and kind of reflecting on how she's never been beyond the walls of the QZ. She asks Joel, have you been out there? And shes he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tess and I go, uh, the last time we went is about a year ago. So Ellie is somewhat put at ease by this feeling like, okay, I'm with people who theoretically know what they're doing. Um, And then she very, very capably bamboozles Joel into revealing what the 80s code means. She says, oh, by the way, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot to mention when you were asleep, the radio came on. What is... Wake me up before you go go mean and Joel <laughs> his head goes down and he's like fuck and that is how Ellie realizes aha 80s music means trouble letting you know that like for for the obvious kind of like naivety and 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 lack of experience that she has in this world she's also very very capable fierce yeah. and a thinker smarter she's than a, Joel in a lot of ways She's very
2: cunning and she's definitely had to work out ways to survive that yeah, belie her kind of small stature. You know, she has the knife, but really it's the smarts that have probably yeah. gotten her this far.
1: Um, So Tess returns and everybody heads off. And of course we understand from uh, an earlier scene that you get caught outside the wall, you get hung. It's no trial. They string you up. Outside, it's raining. It's a dark and stormy night. They encounter <sighs> pissing against the wall, the same guard that, Joel has been selling pills to, and now the guard decides. You know what? I'm doing shit by the book now. I know that <laughs> I, I have go, been I like it, yeah, I've like, got you're what in I want. I, I understand that I've been involved, directly involved in various smuggling schemes throughout the zone. But now we're bringing you in, Neil. Put your hands behind your head, etc. I'm going to test you in for infection. He, t- he tests, Tess. Green. Then he tests Joel Green, and we can see the panic rising in Ellie. She doesn't want; she knows she's going to test Red, and she doesn't want her cover blown about what's going on with her. So, as he places the the device to her neck, she takes out the switchblade and stabs him right in the fucking thigh. Shit pops off. Um, uh, Joel is and Tess are trying to talk him to hey, like don't do don't, don't do anything rash, don't do anything crazy. Uh, and Joel flashes back because of the direct parallels. Here is this guy in soldier gear again. He's flashing a light in his face. There's a an gun injured... to a child. He's, uh, holding a gun to a child. The child is right here with him and he just snaps and he kills the guy. Uh after right after that happened, Tess notices that on the handheld uh, testing device that Ellie tested red. and mm-hmm. now Ellie and now everything is out in the open and and Ellie is showing them the scar from the bite that is healed over and now three weeks old and she's saying, listen. Uh, I'm not. If I if I was gonna get sick, it would have happened a long time ago. I'm not sick. I know what that looks like. But look, this healed. And anyway, we need to get out of here because Fedra's coming. Yeah, Tess the wants to ha- shoot her in the head, but Ellie te- Ellie talks her way out of it. it talks her way out of it, and the three head off into the darkness. Uh, as the camera kind of pans up, and you see the destroyed <sighs> skyline of Boston's Back Bay, with like the I think that's the insurance, the famous like uh, the insurance building, like mm-hmm. toppled into another building building and they head off into this really gathering darkness that just feels terrible and dangerous just by looking at this skyline and we go to Joel's apartment where uh, never let me down by Depeche Mode 1987 comes on the radio and you know that wherever whoever is sending that it's going I, wrong for them it's going very very wrong and we head into episode 2 woo woo that's how you do it that's how you do it.
2: It's so good. And I love I love the ending where they use this musical beat that they just set up a moment ago yeah. as a funny character moment to just tell you they're like, they're fucked. Like, this is going badly. It's not just from the people that they're getting these messages from, which I think people will be really excited about. It's like, I think they were talking about Bill and Frank, you know? So yeah. this is kind of stuff that people really want to see. But also just as a tone setter for the show, like, this is gonna end badly. Something that I will say, Joel does say many times. Many, he many knows times. the way it's going. He just doesn't know which way it's going yet. Yeah, I mean, whew, I've said this many times, right? I, no surprise to anyone. I love a lot of video game adaptations. I think there's a lot of fun ones. <laughs> I think I think there's ones that are quite actually quite good. I think that I love yeah. the campiness of Sonic, them, But... Oh, oh, my God. Well, I will say, actually, yeah, I do Sonic think Sonic would generally Sonic. be seen as that. I'm I'm a fan yeah, of the old fight. I, I love the 90s Mortal Kombat movie. I love Double Dragon mm-hmm. movie with Mark Dacascos. Like, those are really fun. I like those as well. But this, as a feat of adapting a story and a tone, we haven't really seen anything like this in live action. It's, it's pretty spectacular. And I'm really excited... We got a little bit of it in the quarantine zone, you know, yeah. those those quiet moments, the overgrown uh, weeds of kind of the, in the city. But I'm really excited when we get to see outside the quarantine zone with these fallen buildings and the overgrown wildlife and getting to have a few more of those quiet moments of nature overcoming and nature coming back even after this terrible thing. I, I think they did an unbelievable job with this, and I'm um, I'm also really glad that they didn't drop more than one episode because I think this Me is too. like a really great water cooler. Everyone will be talking about it. It's been very nice.
1: Ninety minutes, p- minutes
2: and it raced by. Oh my god! I I was shocked. I did, I not, in the realize, I did not realize when people said it was ninety minutes. I just assumed yeah. it was a normal episode, and I was like, "What?" And it's it's been really cool to see people in our discord who've never played the game who just loved it and it's been nice to see that online as well to see people who were just like I just gave it a try because of Pedro Pascal I just gave it a try because of Bella Ramsey I gave it a try because I like zombie stories and to see how drawn into this world they've been even if they've never played the game I think that's really a testament to how good the storytelling is if you can make it accessible to an audience who has no idea what Fedra is or Cordyceps or all of that stuff the storytelling here is so Smartly done and kind of sparse,
1: but just tells you what you need to know. That's, yeah, that's I just it. I'm
2: blown away it, by how good it, it is.
1: It did everything that an opening episode needs to do, and it it did it oh, just uh, in a way that just draws you in. It told you in various dribs and drabs in various moments what the emotional. Generator of the story is going to be what the story itself is going to be how the world works what the relationships Mm -hmm. between these characters are what the Uh, economy of the world is what the economy like it fleshed it out in really wonderful ways the casting we have to say I mean we've talked about it with Nico Parker obviously with Pedro Pascal with Anna Torv again who oh my god Anna Torv is so good she's so good
2: that brought brought so much nuance and humanity to this like really brutal
1: character yes and the way that that First of all, loved her in Fringe, loved her in Mindhunter, you know, like uh, but the way that time and time again, the first episode just subverts what you Mm -hmm. expect. Mm -hmm. If you know the game, uh, you know, Tess. Again, but you know we we were set up to think that she's a psycho, but she's kind of the smarter one, kind of like the headier one, uh, giving you moments that happen before you expect them. The, the the thing that you pointed out, I think that was so smart, which is like you get these moments where they arrive at the Firefly safe house, Tess and Joel. They take their packs out. This feels like the game. They're getting all their stuff out of the pack. Their guns. They're getting it right, and then they never do anything. Mm-hmm. There's never. The fact that there's no real moment of holy shit action with Tess and Joel at all, but you feel propelled forward and you understand what hard asses they are, how fierce and how dangerous they are, despite the fact that you never see a single fucking thing. It's all about how they move through the world and how people relate to them. That is great.
2: It's really cool and it also is a really nice understanding of the difference between storytelling in a video game and storytelling in a TV show. You don't need to see them do all of that in the TV show constantly. In the game, it is part of the action that keeps you going. Another choice I thought was so interesting was to have Joel kill the QZ guard, not by shooting him, even though, because, you know, bullets... They're very rare in this game. You start with four, five, six, and you have to find them. You're looking through every drawer to find a bullet. You're picking them up. And Joel's raw anger, instead, he beats him to death. And that is, again, something that is directly taken from the game. You can regularly beat people to death and strangle them. But what I love here is instead of it just being like, oh, he's just that kind of guy, this is a moment of emotional breakdown. This is a horrific act. Where he has killed someone that he had a vaguely chill relationship with because of this horrible memory
1: it's it's a really it's a great point, and I love the way they throw it to um to Bella's face there. Oh, and you yeah. see how one how staggeringly violent this thing she had just seen is, how this thing Elliot just seen is, but also how it kind of cements it like, okay. I'm in, I, I'm not going to say safe hands. I'm not going to say good hands, but I'm in the kind of hands that you need in order They'll get to get me there. Across this Let's world. just hope
2: the Fireflies yeah. have what they want because they will also kill me.
1: Yes. And the I Spoiler I also, alert.
2: I de- you know, I, mean, I, I definitely want to see, I want to just say, like, I was really happy when I was reading the reviews after I watched the screeners. Like, I, I was really happy to see everyone shouting out Bella's performance because. Their face yeah, acting in this, the nuance Incredible. of what they put across with their eyes, yeah. the way they're able to embody this kind of teenage awkwardness and this kind of, that faux confidence you have to have as a teenager to right. make it through the world, let alone I, a I think apocalyptic I'm grown up world. already.
1: I believe that I'm an adult already when it's very clear to everybody else that you're not.
2: Exactly. There's so much nuance in it. And, and Pedro's obviously, uh, he's so amazing. Like Pedro yeah. Pascal, like no one's like, oh, he he's not showing up next to Bella. No, he's absolutely brilliant. But for Bella to be able to shine the way they do next to him, that's just unbelievable. And I'm so excited to see that relationship, you know, enemies to parental figures <laughs> or whatever yeah. the trope would be. I'm so excited to see that expanded as we go on, who, who doesn't love a lone wolf and cub type story, you know, and this is exactly. going to be such a special representation of it. And yeah, I was I was just really blown away. I'm so excited to talk about this series as it goes on.
1: Yeah, I, I love the thing that you talked about, because you know, when I was 13, 14, I was like, oh, I'm a grown up now. I'm Mm an adult. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm actually smarter than most adults. And then now when I see people who are 13, I'm like, you are a baby.
2: When I see someone (laughs) who's 20, I think that now because I'm so old. Like it really you know, I always think about that when I was a kid is like when you're in, you know, in England, we call it secondary school. But when you're in like middle school and you see someone who is above you who's like a senior or whatever or who's about to go to high school and you think oh they're an adult and then you get to that yeah, age and everyone not. above you looks like an adult and it just that constant cycle and what i love about bella's performances with ellie ellie is always in that space of i can hold my own i i'm an adult i'm doing it i'm old but every so often there is a moment where she sees one of the adults doing something so horrific or so strange, and you get that look in her eye where she knows she's still a child just in this world. Also, I think it's very, very interesting to start a show like this and start a story like this, same within the game, but to see it on TV of a character who remembers the old world and a character whose only reference is the zombie apocalypse. I think that is such a cool space. In The Walking Dead, that took them years to get to the place where you can yes. have a child who was who was built, yeah. they're born there because of the way they told the story. Another thing I really loved about this first episode, you talked, we talked about, it, you know, in 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 your great uh, recap, is like the ham radio. I love this idea that in the economy of the post-apocalypse, different people with different skills suddenly rise up yeah. the ranks. In this world, the man with the ham radio who can talk to people's families all over the world, he becomes like the most important man, the kingpin. You know, I yeah. i watched this, I, I read this absolutely brilliant Walking Dead comic by uh, Tilly Walden, who's one of my favorite cartoonists uh, called Clementine. And there's a great bit in there about a man who makes uh, prosthetics He trained himself how to make prosthetics because in the zombie apocalypse, that suddenly became something that everybody needed, Mm. especially in The Walking Dead because you can chop off your limb and and survive the the virus. So I love these kind of ideas of economy. Like, how does it work? What becomes valuable? What becomes... Yeah, sure, you can kill people. Actually, that is a skill that a lot of people are getting, Joel, Tess. But what are the more mundane skills that you can bring that you would, would you survive the zombie apocalypse? There's lots of memes like that. What are the five things you'd bring to like a post-apocalyptic society? Like, can you make bread? Can you farm? Yes. Uh, do you know how to run a ham radio? Like a lot of us would be <laughs> fucked. <laughs> but but I, I I love those choices, that slow burn, world building choices. I'm so excited to see that expanded as we get outside, Same. especially because I I think that one of the things that we know from the reviews, from the way people are talking about this, this is a show that isn't afraid to move away from Joel and Ellie. We're going to get to see the wider world, the different people. We're going to get to see stories and characters expanded on who are just in the game for a moment and get to see them be brought to life. So I'm just really excited for it.
1: Same here. We're going to be covering The Last of Us on HBO Max week to week. Uh, And of course, we're going to be returning to our coverage of the video game, The Last of Us video game uh, in weeks to come. That's it for this episode. Rosie, anything to plug?
2: Just, uh, you can hear us here two times a week. That's very cool. I will also be covering The Last of Us at IGN. I'm writing all those kind of good explainers. Obviously, we're getting very close to Quantumania time. Yeah. So I got lots of theories about that. You know how it is. <laughs> I got some cool deep dives coming up in to, you know, polygon uh Regarding Quantumania and the comics it's drawing from. Also, I just want to say, Quaz, you know, uh, people are saying, could it be Quasar? It's the wonderful William Jackson Harper. I think that is still a Richards who's just hiding his, he's gotta hide that, you know, his his name, his place from Kang in the quantum realm. So he made up a yes. cool name, Quaz. I still believe he's a Richards. Maybe Reed. I'm 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 moving towards I, I'm it. With now. I,
1: I'm I with you. I think that would
2: be really cool. So yeah, that's my my theory plug. <laughs>
1: Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision Friday, January twentieth. That is this Friday, where we catch up on the Bad Batch, folks.
2: Yeah, and you know it. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow our XRV Pod on Twitter, where we're always retweeting cool stuff, responding to theories, and cool tattoos. So send us all of those. Check out the Discord. We love that. The Discord is so much fun. Uh, We reference it a lot because me and Jason are always in there. There's a ton of great fans talking about all this cool stuff, breaking down theories, giving book recommendations. It's a total joy. There's also like sports in there, so really covering everything. If you're a Jason fan, you'll love our
1: Discord. We had a watch party. We had a watch party for The Last of Us where we were in there reacting with people uh, on West Coast time mostly who were watching the show along with us. Um, five star reviews five star ratings we need them we gotta have them we want them here's one from Nemeton the real world impact of our stories Jason and Rosie are two of the most humble funny and kind creative storytellers in the biz
0: thank you uh, (laughs) I'm blushing
1: From the latest blockbuster, the super niche comic deep dives, these two cover plot synopses, Easter eggs, theorizing, and most importantly, the real world impact of the stories we're currently watching or reading. Thank you so much, Nemetan. That's, That's really so sweet. so
2: lovely. And also, we love nerd outs. They're yes, some of our favorite things. We love them. The Discord loves them. But we also know that, like us, you have a lot of theories and op- yes. want to share them. We get them when we do mailbags. We love to hear them. We get them in our DMs. So now nerdouts will also be a place for you to share your theories as well as your favorite you know shows movies comic books more so send us your weirdest most tinfoiliest fan theories in a two minute or less voice memo to xray at crooked.com and we will discuss them on the show
1: X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. That's it. See you on Friday. Bye. Bye.